T-minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Okay, so this is the moment we this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Our two hundredth show that happens to take place on our birthday. Wow. And John, I'm very happy to, to buy a lottery ticket. I'm very happy to report to you that we could sing or I could cut in the actual song Happy Birthday. You can't use that. Get this. Yeah. And you gotta research it if you wanna research it. But this is from this is what I retained in my head, and I don't retain too much. Live Nation was trying to claim they own the copyright to, to the Happy Birthday song. How the hell do Live Nation? So for a while, that. when you used Happy Birthday, and just for folks listening don't know what I'm talking about. The old about, lady who wrote it. Her happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday Happy birthday to you. So Live Nation, so if you put a video up on YouTube, they like, boom, they shut it down. Yeah. Like, sorry, cannot use the audio portion. It is owned by a live nation. So somebody, I don't know who. Maybe a live but, nation bought the rights from the lady. Unless them, whoever this was, decided. Oh, oh my. I'll, ble- wow. I'll bleep that. Happy oh. birthday, Michael. They're like, F. They did research and found out that the happy birthday song was actually a reboot of an earlier tune in the public domain. Is that right? That is correct. So they fought it, and they won. Did they really? Yes. So now, the Happy Birthday song is back in the public domain, folks. Wow. So? Well, listen, my kids watch a lot of, you know, kids programming, and whenever there's a birthday, there's never the birthday song. Each show creates their own birthday That's because that show, or people don't know... Well, I guess they... Well, these are older shows. Or if you go to Chili's and you get the happy, 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 happy... When they come to your table with the sparklers. Oh, my God. Maybe that's just me. Well, okay. Happy birthday to us, then. Yes. And to celebrate, years. thanks to our listener... Yeah. Our listener. Uh, our listener. <laughs> our one listener. Our listener. 
Thanks, uh, Mom. I hope you tuned uh, in for no, this no, one. No, no, no. Don't open it yet. Uh, uh, listener. He just wants to oh, pre-open it. Thanks to our listener, uh, Dixon Lou. Dixon, you've been a real trooper, emailing, saying hello, sending us gifts. You know, <laughs> John, John's <laughs> opening the box. This is our gift, so go ahead, open it. Yay. Uh, why John's opening it. My name is Michael Rosso. Oh my God, it's Ebola. <laughs> I'm here with John Fideli. Hi, hi. And John, and John, oh. and Mark Delson. And John oh, no. Fideli. Oh, uh, oh, oh no. It's, oh no, what do you mean, uh-oh? Oh, it's Mark so O'Brien's nice. head in the box. Go <laughs> oh, get Ooh. out of town. Yeah. Oh my God, it was a cold pack in here. Mochaccino, here. John can eat the cold pack. I'll give it to, okay, give it to Mark. There's more. Oh, there's, oh, there's more. more. Oh no, wait, that's it. That's it, but it, was, it, was, it doesn't say anything about keeping... Don't say that's it, like it's a bad thing. Oh, is it supposed to be kept on ice? Are we going to no, like... No, it's just to keep from cold. melting. Oh, okay. Expiration well, date, 3-14-2019. special. Let me have one. Yeah, you, you, me you, like, you know. So here we are. It's, it's um, show 200, Mark. And today is the ninth birthday of Film Photography Podcast. Wow. You know, it's getting to be the end of the year. We're not going to be, to, we're not going to be able to fulfill. Remember that wish list at the beginning of the year? People were like, oh, we want this to happen. Uh, bring back uh, Dwayne Polkew. We brought Dane Johnson back. Is that, uh, is that okay? Dane Polkew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you know what? When we, when we recorded that Dane show, we should have just called him Dwayne. He wouldn't have cared. <laughs> I wouldn't have known. Oh, I, or like Tony, the security guard, just call him Dean. Dane was so far in his beers, he would not even have known. Yeah. Oh my it god, this blasted. is like that tastes just like coffee. It's this like, is just like a distilled down cup of coffee. It's like Jen, do you like cup? <laughs> oh, this one has almonds in it. It's the coffeeest chocolate I've ever tasted. Want to try this one? Where's my seltzer? Mm. This, this is mine's. Oh. No, I don't want to open that. What's the caffeine in here? Oh, my God. Mike, this is good. Play the Tuco. Booyah! Wow! <laughs> this, this kicks like a mule with... Wow! Tight, 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 yeah! Wow! Damn, man, look at that, look! Booyah! Wow! <laughs> oh, we're Wait, what is this? Isn't this Tyco chocolate? Tyco. This Tyco ty- chocolate. Play the Tuco. <laughs> I'm just biting into the mochaccino taiko, like a cappuccino with rich drinking chocolate. It's milk chocolate plus blue bottle coffee. It's just like a pure block of melt-in-your-mouth mm. coffee. Oh, my. But I want to tell everyone listening. <laughs> tell our listener. I'm very, uh, I'm very appreciative. Definitely. Oh my because God, this so community... This community has really blossomed over the last nine years. It's grown so big. Mm-hmm. Who even knew that it would come to, to this proportion? And the, interesting th- the most interesting thing I find is that even though the film photography community has grown, and there's a lot more buzz online, a lot more groups on Facebook, still, when you go to a friend or family function... yeah. You're still, you're, you're still, in your you're own, your own, like, your it's own, like you, it's, it's like, like you, you're like, weirdo, like, weirdo. Yeah. Duh, duh. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
It's like you're like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> they still make, uh, still, still make film. Mm-hmm. People are just like, or you're like, oh yeah, I'm shooting film. Like people don't give an f. They just look at it like kind of kooky. Yeah, they do got, like oh, is that a film camera. They oh, do like the dog, the crooked head thing. You know, like like oh, yeah, I'm shooting film. Like do you, head tilts. Oh, sometimes they just walk away. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> They just want to know, and then they don't ask any other don't questions. Don't care. You know, I, but what I often get, though, is the, I've got some old film cameras. Do you want them? I get that a oh, lot, Oh, you too. do? Yeah. Where? Not on the street. No, but like if I'm at a party and I pull out a camera, people will be like, oh. oh. That's where I got my CNC, <laughs> and I yeah, get some good stuff. By the way, KISS End of the Road Tour. Yeah, I know. That's All right. right. Let me know when yeah, you guys Yeah, the first End of the Road Tour. Again. Get on the YouTube and look up Eddie Trunk. You ever listen to Eddie Trunk? No. He's great. Is he? He's a KISS fan, but he tells it like it is. Oh. If they are going out, and by all accounts they are, with the same lineup they've been touring with in the last 15 years or so, with Tommy dressed as Ace and Eric dressed as Peter. Mm. That's right, yeah. Yeah. You know. He doesn't sugarcoat it like the other DJs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is the fact that I'm not going to look at Tommy Fair dressed as Ace Freely singing Shock Me with a smoking guitar. I'm not going to watch Eric dressed as Peter playing the drums. I'm not going to do it. I was refused to do it for all these years. I'm not going to do it just because they decided, at least for now, that it's a farewell. You know, I think that Paul Stanley and Paul, Mc- Sir McC- Paul McCartney should go on tour together. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you know. The Pauls. They lost their voices. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, lo- I listen to Sir Paul almost every day of my life. Wow. That's interesting. Just today I was listening to the, the song. The new album? It's nice Station. that you refer to him as Sir Paul. I like Don't that. like it. No. I was classic. listening to uh, Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. That's a good one. It's a great one. No. It has a song Fine Line on it. I don't know that one. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm saving up my money for the new White Album release. Oh, the new White Album release. The new White did Album. Did you buy the recent? I e- did. But this, this time, even whiter. I want to get all the all the demos that they got together. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, I, uh, George, what do you got? Well, I got this little one. And he demoed some of the songs. <laughs> there's you know? still time for the, by the way, folks listening, there's still time to yeah. get on that train. To go see the Bite the Wax Godhead reunion. Oh, I thought you were going to mention an obscure. <laughs> on, October, <laughs> on October 26th at Rocky Sullivan's in Red Hook. Where's Red Hook? Rocky! Where's Red Hook, John? It's in Brooklyn. That's right. Gotta uh. get on all my good cheer. Got all my Christmas cards to send. And we're in October. It's almost time. To pull out those Christmas lights and play Bite the God, Bite the Wax God Hit Christmas. Bite Chris- the God Wax <laughs> Dutchman. That's exactly what you said years and years and years ago. Is it really? Yeah, I'd be like, how Bite you, the Wax you God Hit. You'd be like, the God the Bite Wax Head. <laughs> how could you remember something so obscure? That's Their it. album's called Radio Stuyvesant. Radio Stuyvesant. Came out in like 1990. Mark's starting to read his phone. Cool. Yeah. So I want to thank everyone oh, for joining us on this show. This is not the show, by the way. What show? This is a pre-show. Oh, yeah, this is so exciting. The show, the show is with the gang, Matt Marash. In Ohio's. Leslie Lazenby, Mark O'Brien. All and the stars. Spe- all the stars and special guest. Uh, do you know who, uh, do you know, um, do you know uh, our good friend Nano Burger? Dan? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Dan is back? Well, Dan, he did the photo kina a few years ago. Oh, I'm thinking of different Dan. Who's that other Dan? You're thinking of Dane. 
<laughs> oh, you're thinking of Dan Domi. Dan Domi, that's what no, I'm thinking No, this about. is Dan Nanoburger. Dan. Dan Nanoburger. I know the name Nanoburger. I didn't know it was the name Dan was yeah, connected Dan to has it. been amazingly helpful all these years, corresponding back and forth. He puts posts on, uh, what's that called? Destruct, constructed? Instructables. Instructables. Hmm. Like how to use microfilm, how to do this, how to do yeah. that. Oh, how to use sprocketless film in which cameras? How to use 16-millimeter film in your 110 camera? It's a wealth of information. Wealth of information. And he was in the, in the military, so he was stationed in Germany a few years ago, and he recorded some Photokina oh, excerpts. Oh, lucky. Speaking of Photokina, Photokina was this past September. Mm-hmm. I don't go... Because it's too, far away. it's too noisy. It's their trade show. So oh, the one in New York? No, that's PDN. Photo oh, Expo. Okay. this is Photokina. Yeah, parking is terrible. In. The parking situation is not good. Yeah, it's not good. But uh, I did get a call from our good friend Sam Sherman. Oh yeah, who informed me about a new Roloflex TLR coming out. Is that right? Let's, let's listen to Sam's message that he sent us. Hey Mike, Sam Sherman calling. I hope you're studying. Photokina, which is ongoing now in Germany at Cologne, or maybe you've gone to visit it. Most amazing thing I've seen online is that Roloflex, the company, is back in business and they're making a new twin lens reflex film camera, like the old Roly two and a quarter, and they're making uh, the Roly two and a quarter SLR, like Hasselblad and Bronica type, also for film, but also with a digital back. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Go check it all out. Bye-bye. I don't hear anything. And that was Sam Sherman telling us about the new Roloflex. That's amazing. Yep, it is amazing, right? What? Uh, oh, well, interesting. See, film wonders will never cease. I do love Roloflex. Great things every year. Interesting things that you never thought would happen again, ever. I have um, a letter uh, here. I'm going to turn over to John. Oh, jeez. Uh, why don't you read this? From, from your friend Abe. Abe, oh, Film, what's Guy. it called? What's it called? It's right there on the header. Oh, it's called Film Lab. Yeah. 1.0 for iOS. Tell me what it, tell me what his letter says. says and hi, then- Michael. I wanted to drop a note to say that my Film Lab, that my app, Film Lab, which I've been working on for almost two years now, and I backed him on Kickstarter, and he's been very diligent about, diligent about sending uh, updates and keeping everybody posted. Uh, it's almost ready to ship. Version 1.0 for iOS comes out next week. And version 1.0 for Android will be out later in the fall. The goals of FilmLab are, one, to be nice digital loop for viewing your negs, and two, be a convenient, albeit low-res film scanner for making proof sheets or sharing film images on social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you or any of the FPP gang have Apple devices? Yes, I do. Well, I did. If so, I'd be uh, happy to send you invites to install a pre-release copy so you can try it out, which I did, but lost when my phone, when all my data on my phone was corrupted. Uh, So now I have to download it again, Abe. Uh, As always, thanks for the great shoes. Film Lab probably wouldn't exist without the FPP. You guys have taught me so much about film over the years and gave me the confidence to really embrace it as a hobby and now sort of job, Abe. So, yeah, he's getting it together. I can't wait to uh, re- reinstall it. So this is an check, app that goes out. on your phone, and you could scan yes. negatives. Yes. And I also did a, a Kickstarter. A guy created a little um, 
film holders that you could use your iPad as like a light box. Yeah, I remember so that. So that you can then use the film app to scan your negs right there on top of your uh, iPad hmm. or phone. What do you think about that, Mark? That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, to quote Mark Dalzell, that's great. That's great. So, yeah. I'm very happy that uh, folks saying like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do this without FPP. That's very encouraging, yeah. very awesome, you know, because I kind of approach everything like, you know, like this. Yeah. Meh. Like, you know, hey, whatever. I don't think, you know, it's, it's, media is, I always said, I've always said this, media is a weird thing. You yeah. just don't, it's out there. In what way? It's what out, Mark, it's true, it's out there. I don't, I don't know where you're crazy. going with this. Once you release the media, yeah. it's out there. Oh, so, okay. Can't stop the signal. You can't. The cow's out of the barn. The cow's, the cow is out of the, that's right, the cow is out of the barn. All right. I got you. Is that a saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the country, it is. But I'm hoping that in the coming weeks, we're going to return with our drive time episodes. Episodes. And I'm going to see if uh, you know Joseph Brunges. I do. You met him? Yeah. Yeah. Photographer, right? <laughs> yes. He's, uh, he does wet the plate uh, wet plate. Yeah. Uh, Alex does our show notes for the shows on the 1st and the 15th of every month. He's Canadian. You know. Yes, he is. And That's good. <laughs> And Good for him. The odd shows, we don't have a person doing show notes, so I've been tapping into Joseph Brunges to see oh. if he'd write them. That's what we, Instead of calling the drive time shows, we should just be the odd shows. <laughs> <laughs> and what I like about uh, Joseph Brunges' no. notes, and I like, I, don't get me wrong, Alex, I, like, I love your notes too. Joseph Brunges, he pulls a quote out of each show. Oh, that's good. He's like, so the show, the, the, the show quote? that he uh, did notes for, which was on the first of October. I saw that. Oh, quote of the show. Who's so, who's buddies with Fuji? So Robert, who's buddies with Fuji? And there's like a pause. Robert, no one. <laughs> it's so true. What the hell is wrong with Fuji? They um, they Fuji, so grumpy. They do their own thing, man. They're out on their own island. They don't like to be called Fuji either. Called Japan. Oh, Fuji Film. What do you? Oh, you got to call him Fuji Film. That's right, because you could be Fuji Steakhouse. Could be, you know, oh, well. you know, could be Fuji Mount. Well, they should be flattered that when you talk of film and you refer to Fuji Film, that you don't even have to say the film because everybody knows what you're talking about. From my, so there, yeah. from my experience, Mike said he tried Fuji. Was he talking about steak or film? We're not sure. <laughs> yeah. From my, uh, from my experiences. So this is my experience. This is not like truth. It's my experience, John. I feel super like, buzzed from that. Oh, it's this from the Cochino. Oh more chocolate? No, no more chocolate. Oh my God. I have found Fuji to not be the most communica- communicative. Communicative? Communicative. Communicative. They don't really put out like the, the, the warm vibes. Yeah. They're just like, hey, shoot our film or don't. We don't care. I like that. Uh, what kind of accent was that? I don't know. It was okay. like something in between. You know what? That's right. If John does an accent, that is not mocking the accent. So let's say... Oh, so do an Italian accent do for Japanese do an Italian accent man. for Japanese, yeah. and then for Italian, you do the hey, Japanese. Hey, use it to film or not, and we don't care. Exactly. Oh, perfect. So what does film for Ronnie say? Uh, use it to film or not, oh, we don't boy. care. <laughs> <laughs> what would the people in the UK say? Uh, it's okay. You can't be use racist with people. film or not, we don't care. Uh, oh, it's Texas. I think that our friends over at the Sunny 16 podcast in the yeah. UK, Uck. 
should slap on some U.S. accents. Oh my God, that would be great. As a matter of fact, uh, I need I need you guys. Hear, I need to hear that. If I send you Use a letter, guys. if I send you a letter, will you read it in a New, new, new Jersey great. accent? Oh my God. Send me a just shoot me an email. Remember when I shot that film with Tom Moose? Yeah. They were all trying to do American accents. It would all be like the big New York. Everybody had to talk like they were from New York. Yes, they, and I, it was just so full blown. It was hilarious because that's their idea of either, American either accent. Either that or that or that Texas Southern accent. That's the two that. This I is a, a film, John. Uh, you helped on the crew. What is it called? Called oh, okay. SSI. Oh right, 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 right. Sex Squad Investigation. I'm familiar with it. Have you seen it? I yes. celebrate John's entire catalog. <laughs> It's really quite good. Catalog. Have you seen that one? No, I don't. You have not seen haven't. SSI? No, I haven't. They had a New York... It, it was shot in Manchester, mm. but it's supposed to be New York. Yeah. So they had a New York police car. Yeah, they found a bloke who had a car. We shot it in downtown Soho. And then the, the wide shots, John... You shot in the actual Soho, pretending you were in New York Soho. Soho, London. <laughs> Yeah. Here in the UK, here in the US, here in the UK, here in the US, John I, I went out and shot <laughs> Wait, B-roll, what? wide shots of oh, the city. The city. Joey Kay and I drove around one day got and just got... No, I'm good. I got... <laughs> Soak it up with some of those See, that's wafers. the pluses of Diet Coke. Like, all that spilled Coca-Cola, it's, it's not, not going to leave sugary, sticky... Right there on the table, you nope. see the brown... Only healthy ants will be the drawn The brown that. paper towel that's... About as absorbent, absorbent as tinfoil. Absorbent. <laughs> yeah, the brown ones that don't pick up anything, they just kind of push it around. They do, they do. What's the point? Bounty, they should call that bounty, we're not. They should call it's, it anti bounty. There's a brown roll of squeegee. It's like squeegee paper. <laughs> paper. Like, That's what you should call it. Just squeegee it into your hand off the edge of the table. Oh my God. Sorry, go right. ahead. Go anyhow, on. SSI, look it up. Yeah. It's really... Check it out. Oh, it's really quite quite good. It is not for children. No. <laughs> <laughs> really? Sex scene investigation is not for children? Well, it's a spoof of sex CSI. Sex investigation is not... Yeah. yeah, that was a trip. Yeah. Tom Moose is a wonderful man. Did I tell you... John, did I tell you... What, what was the... Who was the guy who played the Herc in uh, Avengers? <laughs> Joey. Joe, Joey K. So like the jerker so in like Bat two, Babe. Two months ago, I came to do camera stuff, and he was sitting here oh. doing something. And as he walked in, Mike was like, oh, Joey, this is Mark, Mark, Joey. I'm like, oh, hey, Joey. I'm like, yeah, I know you, you, know, you were in Bravengers. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> so we chatted for a minute or two. And then we walked away. And as I got about 20 feet away, I was like, oh, wait. And I went back to him. I'm like, it's not like I'm a weird Bravengers oh, come on. Fanboy, it's that I, you know, I helped. I worked on the screenplay. He's like, oh, okay. I thought he said I thought you were just a big okay, fan of the movie. Just totally freaked me out. Well, that's why I was just like, oh man, he thinks that I'm a complete weirdo. He's very good in that movie. He's good in everything he does. Yeah, he really is. He's a funny guy. What yeah. was that thing, Uncle Farts? Uncle Farts. He did. All, oh my he God. animated like a whole cartoon. It's hilarious. All right. Yeah. Here's. I think I still have the clip. If I still have the clip, here's the clip. Hey, Uncle Farts. I've looked everywhere and I can't find my Shrek Two boogie board. Well, then it's quite obvious to me that we got ourselves a mystery. Looks like I'm going to have to do some hardcore sleuthing. <laughs> and the kid, like, there's like a little kid, and he talked, Hey, Uncle Fats. And he always had something inappropriate written on his shirt. Uh, yeah, it was like a South Park kind of thing. Yes, it was like a South Park, sure. much dirtier. 
I can't even say what was written on the kid's shirt. Oh my goodness! You well, should do one not. of the, you should do one of those lines where you go to cut away to something, but then just say, "Oh, sorry, no, we didn't have that." So my idea for not, you know we always come up with these ideas for visual podcasts to put on YouTube because they're fun and people can get a, a snapshot of what really goes on over here. Yeah. My new plan is myself, John, and Mark. That's you guys. Yeah. Oh. We oh. all sit on the same oh, side oh, of Mark. the table. Kind of close together. Uh, not too close. And we just have a camera here, and it's just a three shot. Why not? Like a news desk. Like weekend update. We should put a mirror up so we don't have to turn our heads to look at each other. At us, so we could just look in the mirror. <laughs> I said we didn't pop the little graphics up on the corner. Yeah. yeah always cut the graphic when need be. Why not? Be so great. That's the new, the new. That's a great idea. Low, low, low fi. Uh, low fi, low budge. Low. Totally. Post production, low, low time, quality. Low, low humor. Yep. yep. Let's do that today. I can't. I already have the ice packs. Let's go. We're halfway there. What? So, uh, folks, you can write to us, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. And we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with a full, exciting show. I don't take caffeine, so I'm like... On this... I'm like this now. On this 200th episode, on October 15, 2018... Nine years to the day. It's our bicentennial like Brian Libby episode. now, right? What's that? I feel, I'm talking like Brian Libby. Nine years to the day. Nine years to the day. You have to pretend that you have no so upper John lip. and I were on a rooftop. You have no upper Like lip. five in the morning in, in Linden, Linden, New Jersey, Linden. shooting these... Apple Records. Shooting these huge, like, Exxon, like... Oil tanks. Oil tanks. As the sun rose. As the sun rose. Were you there? To meet the day so were that you Exxon there? Or was he describing it better yeah, than you are? I was. Do you remember Brian Libby? Yeah, he's like, the sun comes up over the oil tanks in London, New Jersey. <laughs> the majesty of the Exxon Corporation is once again in the light. He just started talking. He just grabbed the mic. And, and just, I'm looking at you when you're looking at me. No one's recording like, anything. Like, no, we were recording the scenes. Yeah, you were doing pans He picked and up stuff. the mic to start, like, start narrating it. Who was? I wasn't there. Who was he? How come you weren't there? <laughs> I must have been busy even, that day. He wasn't even I born probably, yet. I literally probably wasn't born yet. Mark Delzell was not even born this yet. This was 1993 or four. four. You're born. I was, uh, I was a teenager. Okay. He was at the sock hop. Sock he was at, while well, we were working at five in the morning, you I were was at, at the arcade. You were at Arnold's. I was probably at the arcade. <laughs> in 1993, I would have been in an arcade. People, people just. Yeah, you could watch the first season of Happy Days on YouTube illegally. People just get like a. Hmm. This is just like a bizarre stream of like consciousness. A, they just get like a buzz. I forget what this podcast is even they, about. They just get like a buzz. Like what? What? What do they? They order the DVD probably from that Amazon. They get it in their hands. What like possesses them to, to be like, hey, YouTube. like I'm gonna rip this and put the whole episode on YouTube? I don't know. Boredom. <laughs> They're doing it for the fame. Do you think so? Look, maybe, you're talking about it. Maybe they got a gripe with Ron Howard, and they're like, F Ron Howard. That's right. <laughs> Putting this whole thing Screw up. you, Winkler. In the first few episodes, Fonzie wears a blue yeah. windbreaker. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he won an Emmy this year for his work on Barry. Oh, really? Which is a really good show. This is such a bizarre stream of consciousness. Yeah, we're just talking. What else can we talk about? Anything that has to do with cameras? Let's get that out of the way so we can talk oh, about Oh, the rest of the stuff. show is about cameras. But uh, oh. before we go, I do want well, to... Well, I got to go, so you guys have fun. No, 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 no. we're done. No, I, I mean, on wait, the show. Just, just, no, just don't go. Show. Just don't go. Mike, on the show. I do want to mention... Wait a minute, don't go. ...that uh, last week, uh, for folks who tuned in, uh, we talked about the ObscuraDarkroom.com, the mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
my god! Oh, I, so that's ridiculous. I can't believe they got four hundred thousand dollars already. Oh it's only exactly. a week. What if they get a million dollars? I saw Jen uh, <laughs> looking at uh, gold crowns. I think she was going to buy some yeah. tiaras. If they raise a million dollars, is it true that Ruby Jen and will be developing trays? Tiara, gold. <laughs> pure gold. She's going to buy um, uh, pure gold trays. Yep. And stands. What if gold plated stands for the enlargers? What if the obscure dark room makes a million dollars, but they decide last minute to spend it on a t- nine hundred thousand of that to hire Paul McCartney to oh play the I'll, opening I'll night? I would totally go. Okay. So just sit in the corner and play piano. Would that happen during class? Mm-hmm. No. no, no, not even Sir Paul is going to deter Jen from her target. She would just get more enlargers. Who, who would deter Jen from her target? I wonder if not Paul McCartney. But we'll be back Jeff in a, Tweedy. We'll be we'll be back in a few weeks to uh do the like the few update. weeks, few weeks. Oh, and also we'll be back to talk about you know that Florian Doc Caps? Yeah. Yeah. Is there has another chapter dropped in the Epic Saga? The Epic Saga of Saving Pack Film. Of Doctor Florian yeah. versus Fuji. I'm not gonna say Fujifilm. Go get him, Doctor. Exactly. <laughs> What if the, he's going to raise the money just so they could buy black masks and like James Bond type gear, like the, <laughs> the black buy, canoe, what the, the little inflatable things canoe, that, so they little, could little zodiacs. Those little things that you hit. Pe- oh, blackjacks club. <laughs> yeah, buy a bunch of they're going to go to club. Fuji and just steal the machine. How much money would they need to just buy Fuji? I'm not going to say Fuji know. film. If they got Tom Cruise, they hired him because he could do it. He's done amazing things in those Mission Impossible. No, bad movies. stuff always happens to. Oh, Tom, Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks? Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks Not, has don't get Tom no Hanks. idea what he's doing. Yeah, something. If Tom Hanks goes to take over Fuji, his plane will crash or something. No. Oh, come on. Every movie that he's in, something You're bad right. happens to yeah, him. Yeah, the Castaway, you had the Sully. Yeah, no. Yeah. In Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that one ended. Terminal. Badly. Terminal. Yeah, you need Tom Cruise. Because he can, like. Splash. Apollo 13. Apollo, uh, Joe versus the Volcano. Bachelor Party. <laughs> Uh, the man with one red sneaker. The money pit. Oh my goodness! We just have discovered something. One? Yes, of course. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. You sound like a bird. Oh, no see, one. I brought it all the way back to the end. Wait a minute. What was the one that he made with the uh, with the Leonardo DiCaprio's? About Leonardo DiCaprio was the con man. Oh, catch, catch me, me if you can. Well, that was that doesn't really fit the that theme. That was a good one. Oh, 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 the Green Mile. Oh. oh. Well, but yeah, you're losing the theme of, of Tom Hanks having bad travel. Well, no, that was a travel bad luck. That was a bad movie. Hey, we'll be back. Both of you guys got to go? I got to go. Uh, I was saying on the show, I got to go. Oh, but do you have to go? In right? real life, I, I should go in the next I 10 minutes. The and physically we'll be right back with the, full, with the regular show. Bye. We'll be right back with our regularly scheduled program. Oh, and hey, thanks to, uh, thanks to Sean Nelson for sending me those... Uh, those audio clips. We're going to play one right Who's now. Who's the guy that sent this? Oh, oh that was sent by uh, Dixon Lou. Thanks, Dixon. Yeah. Thanks, Sean, for keep looking out for us. I appreciate yeah, Sean. that. Sean, he it's sends like a me. big brother. He Sean. sends me. Sean. He sends me. Shawnee boy. He sends me. Oh, boy. Dot MP3s yeah. of vintage spots. Oh, cool. But, Sean. Like old Sean, 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 Sean. They're so clean. Oh. Like he cleans them up beautifully. Oh, Sean, what, you want them dirty? Sean, you want them like Sean, 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 We'll be back. In Japan, land of cameras, one company has consistently made some of the biggest innovations and some of the smallest. Pentax. Time to 
time to wake this show up. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. And all around. We didn't even get started. We're in Browntown. Mr. Brown discovered here in Finley, Ohio. Yeah. Not created here, but they discovered it. Way back sale. in 2011, Matt and I walked down the store and we saw the inappropriately named Oriental Market. And I still there. I still could not get you guys out of my store quick enough. I had crap to do, and I didn't want to mess around with yeah, you. Yeah, Leslie was not part of the FPP at I that was not. time. No, you're just an irritation. And we walked in there. Point. We all like cracked open the Mr. Brown iced <laughs> coffee, and that was the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we've been browned out ever since. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my name is Michael Rosso. This is the Film Photography Podcast. I'm here in uh, Finlay, Ohio, with our awesome guest audience from the uh, carryover. The Leftovers from the Walking Workshop 2018. <laughs> this is a super special show. I know all of our shows are super special, but this one's especially super special. Hello, little friend. Somebody told me that you were having a birthday. Aren't you lucky? Because it's wonderful to have a birthday party. All your playmates come to your house. Johnny, Mary, Paul, Betty, Peter, Susan, Billy, Judy, Danny, Elizabeth, and Dorothy. And, of course, Mother and Dad join in, too. Because besides Leslie Lazenby... Hello, everyone, and hello, pod people. Matt Mirage. Hey, Heidi Ho. Mr. Mark O'Brien. Hey, everyone. The legend, the unknown, but soon to be known, Dan Nanoburger on Flickr. Bonjour. Oh. <laughs> and this is uh, Daniel Goodale Porter. Yeah, it's a hyphenated last name. It is a hyphenated last name. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and I am so delighted... I was so delighted when I heard that Dan was coming to our uh, event here in Finlay, Ohio, because we've been corresponding via email for many years now. Mm, yeah. And uh, I am a charter listener, so I've, uh, yeah. I've listened to everyone. Les- Leslie calls you Mr. Uh, Instructable. Oh, yeah. Instructable. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's how I knew. So mm-hmm. you had um, basically hacks and information, and you would go on the Instructable website, and they allow everyone to go up there and share information, correct? Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, mm-hmm. what it's there for. So, uh, but throughout the years, uh, Dan has corresponded with the FPP, uh, has always been a go-to for me when I found a wacky microfilm or a strange film, or we, we both have a love for um, small format, 16 millimeter, 110, and some of those films are tricky, some of those have no sprockets. So there are little tips that Dan was able to retain the information that I, I can't. Like, oh, wow, I just found some sprockless 16mm, a.k.a. 110 film. What camera, what awesome 110 camera can I use sprocketless film in? And Dan would have that information. We'll share it if someone wants to know. Like the Pentax Auto 110? No. Uh, sprocketless? Yeah. No. Okay, wait. Uh, that, the Canon ED? The Canon ED will be fine, yes. Yeah. Um, and the, then the Instamatic Pocket 60, uh, the flagship of the Kodak uh, 110 line, uh, right. works just fine. And then mm. uh, Dan was in touch. He's like, hey, I think you, you were military. Uh, yeah, not anymore, though. I retired in 2014. What branch of the military were you in? Uh, I was in the Army, but uh, before I get to talk about myself, I'd like to uh, kind of, in this public forum, uh, thank you, Mike, uh, uh, and the crew, I guess, for, for putting all this together. Uh, no, I've never been to one of these before, and it's uh, great to meet with like-minded folks uh, out there. And I think I speak for everyone here that uh, 
there was a whole lot of work that went into setting this stuff up uh, that you can't see behind the scenes or listen to the podcast. And uh, I'd certainly like to, uh, hey, let's give you guys a round of applause. Uh, for thank doing what much. you do. For, oh, thank you. <laughs> for folks listening who were not here, um, we didn't do our own roundup. Very quickly, I could do it, which is we were here at the Jones Mansion in Finlay, Ohio. And we, this, this year, we haven't done one here in four years. This year, we had rotating presentations, and we had four of them. We had uh, Mr. Matt Marash handling large format mm-hmm. and strobe. Yep. We had Mark O'Brien and Leslie uh, doing uh, FPP Super Monobath black and white processing on the, on the spot. And C41 color negative processing right here. Remjet removal. Then we had, in another room, we had Robert Ham from the Ham Camera Company doing a demonstration on his new box one and the pin box. And then outside, we had Joseph Brunges with the the Brungemobile, (laughs) which is a a pretty much a cart-along tin-type studio. Is that accurate, Joseph? And he's wet plate photographer, mm-hmm. so he was out outside doing that demonstration. And uh, Dan, as you know, you, you are a guy who knows a lot, and you told me that you found some of this fascinating. So I feel that I we have all done our job properly to put on a show. Someone who knows a lot and is already shooting a format can pull something out of. Yes, I was saying that the, the most cogent thing I learned is uh, my wife is never going to let me uh, do wet plate photography. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, you're happy you saw it? Oh, yes. I'm happy I saw it and uh, it has some incredible images. I wish I could reproduce them, but uh, I'm just going to have to buy them. Okay. Mm. Very cool. Uh, we're going to talk um, with you in a few minutes about microfilm and small format that's when you can snooze off matt no there's a foil to this oh okay there is yeah oh starting small going tall (laughs) (laughs) but matt do you want to lead off with that that yeah let's do a letter let's do a letter and this was a listener letter that was sent in and uh it's from someone who was actually here but not here right now this was sent uh the night before the first the first uh day of the walking workshop uh from uh FPP listener and a good customer of mine at Midwest Photo, uh, Jeff Preston. Can't wait for the walking workshop weekend. I'll see you guys there, at least for the first day. Um, he had one, one quick question about spot metering. He wants to help increase his keeper rate uh, with his 4x5 with his setup that he recently purchased. And his question was, spot metering. How, what, where, when, why? Uh, give a quick overview for everyone Okay, sure. Uh, so w- whenever your cameras, uh, if you have any sort of auto exposure or, or some uh, anything where you need a battery on the camera, uh, oftentimes it's going to read the reflected light uh, that's coming in either through the lens or if it has its own uh, dedicated meter up top or a separate meter. Oh. Not touch anything. <laughs> Mr. Brown's kicking in. <laughs> Put that away from me. All right, that's not my lens. Um, anyway, um, so take that reflected light, light reading. And it's going to average out that reflected light uh, seeing for zone 5 or middle gray or 18% gray, something right in the middle there. So if it's really bright, it's going to try and knock it down. If it's really dark, it's going to try to bring it up. And if it's somewhere in the middle, uh, it's going to be about where your exposure needs to be. This is really useful for tricky lighting situations like we have back here at this, this uh, 
this front table here. We were pretty backlit earlier. That can be a little troublesome for metering. Absolutely. And if you have something like uh, a very tighter reflected light reading, like a spot meter, if you will, uh, you can take that exact reflected light reading uh, and get just um, just the reflected light reading off of the object you want to expose for uh, versus getting an average of the scene. So many cameras uh, will have some sort of evaluative or matrix metering where it's taking into account uh, a lot of different portions of the scene, not just the center of your frame lines. Um, there will also be a, an average uh, metering, which is kind of averaging out everything that's coming in. Um, and then you'll have like a, a, like a center-weighted, so mostly taking it from the center but accounting some other things um, and then your spot meter which is usually a very very small area of that reflected light coming in that you want to get your exposure from thank you matt yeah oh but but the letter but the letter <laughs> <laughs> sorry this is, oh, i'll try to make this quick um bring more brown yes oh well, here Oh, there we go. Okay, so um, spot metering. Why would you want to do it? Well, if you're shooting landscape especially, you can't always take an, you know, an incident reading on that mountain two miles away. I mean, maybe you can, um, but it's not practical a lot of the time when you're aiming your camera and there are some things really close up and really far in the distance that you want to account for in your exposure. Sometimes uh, a handheld spot meter is perfect for that. Mike. Quick question. When you said incident, I, I own a Gosson Luna Pro F. Yes. I slide the globe mm -hmm. over. The diffuser dome, yep. So if I'm shooting Leslie, I'm shooting her with the globe pointing out, and it's measuring the light that's As it hits her. her. Yep. And the globe is diffusing it. Mm -hmm. And averaging it out. Averaging yep. it out. Exactly. So the meter I would hold here... The camera is over there. Exactly. So yep. that's when you as opposed to as opposed to spot metering metering reflected light as it reaches the camera. So you yep. hold the meter. So you're saying you can't get up to that mountain to do an instant reading. I mean, maybe I can. Man, I'm just lazy. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I carry around a handheld spot meter for most of my stuff doing large format. I prefer using one of these. This is the Siconic uh, L778. I think I'm like the only person that likes it because when you Google when you Google it, um, the only article is the one I wrote a few years ago okay. on it, which is sad. But it's a great handy little meter. But any spot meter is great. There's right. the old analog ones. Those could be a little hard to read because it's it's kind of grayed out and there's a very hard to read dial. This has a digital like standard LCD readout. It was made in the early 2000s, um, but. I prefer using this for finding that this is a one degree spot meter. So when you look through it, it has what looks like kind of a, it's about a 200 millimeter equivalent lens. It's taking a tiny little reading within that circle. There's two circles you'll see, Mike. And the the, there's the tiny, oh, it's not on here. Let me oh. get, you, get you a switch. Now this one, I finally killed the LCD on this. This thing's been beat to, yeah. Anyway, so don't read that, that but read up what's in here. You pull the trigger to, uh, to take a meter reading. Read that reflected light. Uh, and where can I put my ISO? <clears throat> uh, so oh, you right hit here. the ISO mm -hmm. button. Yep. And now I use this up. Um, no, the uh, up and down where your thumb is. Oh. Hold hold ISO and move the oh. up and down where your thumb is, and that'll change your ISO. And you can have two pre-memorized ISO values. So spot metering is is especially effective when you are working. Uh, in a, a kind of a long distance situation. Um, you can also use it in the studio. In fact, that one is a flash uh, 
uh, flash metering one. So I used this when I was metering um, during the large format demonstration. This one's unique because it's a modern Siconic that has not only a PC sink, but it has a hot shoe on the top of it. Shoe? What shoe? So if you look on the top, there's a hot shoe. It's, it's excellent. Hot shoe! <laughs> so it's a really versatile uh, spot meter. I really like it. But most spot meters uh, are really, really cheap. They're actually uh, cheaper than most handheld light meters, except I think Gauss and Luna Pros sell for a little bit less. F11 at eighth of a second? Yep. That's what it's saying? Mm -hmm. At 800 ISO. You did it. That's what it's looking like. Yep, and you can also memorize values on this one. So I can, uh, if you're doing like zone system photography for black and white, I can plot things out. I can shine this at the brightest object in the room, can find my f-stop there, and then find the darkest shadow. What f-stop? Can you set your, can you put in what f-stop you want? Yep. So I have it on, I have it on timed exposure where I set, I, I want to make sure that my metered exposure time for reciprocity right. failure isn't at a certain level. Gotcha. I'll get to that threshold and then I'll find my f-stop that works or I can do it the opposite way and meter from, from the f-stop I want. Uh, but this way, because it has an f-stop scale, I can plot along that. So now um, the dynamic range in here is, is stupid if I want to get like shadow detail all the way in the back of the room. Yeah. It's not going to work too well, but I know splitting the difference if I want to get a good exposure at an eighth of a second, I'll be at f-60. So you're doing large format, wide vista, You'll want to spot meter the different different where the values sun is, where the shade is, so you can know the not film you're using, how it's going to react. Probably not the sun, but yeah, the bright, basically the no, not the sun. <laughs> where the sun is shining. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Usually, I, I poke around with the meter. Yeah, <laughs> the and that's actually in the world. And actually, Mike, that brings up a fantastic point. Um, when you are working around with a spot meter, oh, oh, it says, it says have on it. There? I don't know. The pen exploded in your Somebody, hand. Mr. Maybe. Brown. Somebody have berries. Anyway. I was in nature this morning with this. I don't know. I don't think it was. Anyway, um, so when you're working with a spot meter, uh, especially a handheld one, it's very tempting to meter something looking over here. That's not where your camera's looking, Mike. You want to be approximating how it's coming into the lens. So if you have a wide-angle lens, you can move around a little bit, but it's within that degree of view uh, that your camera's going from. All right, this is getting boring and technical. Anyway, spot meter, when do you use it? When you don't want to walk up to something. It's a reflected light, uh, light reading, which is really, really nice. Um, so you can get the exact uh, reflected value that's coming off of it. But reflected light readings um, have their own risks. So incident reading um, eliminates the need for uh, worrying about color cast. So different colors reflect light at different values. There's different absorption. So darker, right. like a, a darker value, so like something blue or green is going to uh, absorb a little bit more of that light and not reflect it back. If I read something off of like a yellow shirt or a white shirt, it's going to be a little bit uh, slightly different, even though the light coming in is going to be about the same. Yeah. Uh, Ansel Abs talks a lot about that in his book, The Negative. So. Okay. I notice a lot in especially Facebook forums, very active Facebook forums, Someone will ask a question, and when I read the question, I'm like, no, don't ask a question in a Facebook forum because you're going to get so many responses, and everyone owns their own response. Absolutely. And there's no actual correct answer because sort of like if, when I was out shooting shooting 16-millimeter film, I used the Goss and Luna Pro incident, but the guy who's using the Minolta spot meter... Like, mm -hmm. there would be no winning in the argument of which one's no. better because he is so... You already decided before you answered. Yeah, yeah so the, the Minolta spot meter guy is never going to surrender to say, I'm going to even try the Goss and Luna Pro. Mm -hmm. So when a, a, let's just say, a newbie asks a question in a Facebook forum and you get all these answers, everyone's just 
rooting for what they use because they know it so well and it works so well for them. But the fact of the matter is, it's a it's a light meter. Mm-hmm. You got to find whatever works for you. What works for you, yeah. And just own it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and while while we were on the uh, our break before yes. we started the show, what show? Uh, an FPP listener who's here in the audience today uh, had a question about spot meters as well. So oh. to answer that question, uh, what's a good spot meter to start with? Um, Minolta's, you already mentioned yes. it. They get absolutely no love. I have no, re- I have I no, have no reason idea why. why. Yeah. And they are, for a while, the, the industry standard. They're excellent. Um, my first, my first meter from Professor Jeff, of course, uh, was his yes. uh, was his three F with the spot attachment that you probably sold him. Which he, at that point, got it to the shop, but I didn't probably even sell it to him. But yeah. So uh, the Minolta spot meters are excellent. You don't have to buy a dedicated spot meter. Those are pretty all in. That's right. You can also get uh, attachments for the dome ones, or if you buy a new Siconic, don't buy a new light meter. We can do better, much better things with seven hundred dollars. Don't buy a new light meter, um, but if you if you want to, Siconic still makes a like a seven fifty eight or an eight fifty eight, which combines both spot and incident metering. So, that's thank it. you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Jeff, for the question. This Are there any great. questions here about metering, whether it's in your camera or if the meter's in your hand? Okay, great. Oh, there's one. There's a question back there. Yes, in the back. Uh, my spot meter has an attachment where it goes two percent. What's the point of Two percent or two degrees? Two degrees. Okay, so degrees. Got to let you repeat the question. Oh, the the question is, um, my spot meter has a two degree reading on it. So what? most most spot meters will have uh, two circles that they meter from, um, a larger circle and a smaller circle. This one goes three to one, so three degrees to one degree, and that's for the size of the object. Sometimes uh, the one degree reading is a little bit too tight. Um, and wouldn't actually a one degree is going to be a worse reading for if I was trying to take a meter reading off of a face because it's it's too small an area to sample off of. Right. I might be hitting a hot spot from a light. Uh, the three is going to average it out a little bit more. So it's for exactly that angle uh, of view that that angle that's coming in uh, to the reading. So. Okay. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. This break it's not going to be an actual break, but the break is going to be a break that we haven't had in a very long time. If you go back in history, if you go back into the time tunnel of the FPP archive, you would often hear me peeling what I call crack and peel instant film. It doesn't get much love anymore because I'm so disgusted that it's not available anymore. But uh, our, our guest today, Dan, uh, kindly was walking around with his Polaroid big shot taking shots, and he took a shot of me. Big shot. Big, big shot. shot. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, I, I, I mean, I just love this sound. Listen, listen, folks at home in here. Oh. <laughs> Look it's at it. It's such a beautiful thing. And the, for those who don't know, the Polaroid Big Shot camera, it, it takes a beautiful portrait, also known as the Andy Warhol portrait camera, because... Uh, Andy Warhol's screen, uh, silk screens were shot on the Big Shot camera. He, Andy, you would see some shots. He, Andy would lazily just shoot the, the picture or just have his assistant do it for him and get some beautiful, beautiful portraits. Oh, look at this. What's going on there? Just put it on. Oh, okay. Very there you nice. go. So this film, how many folks here have shot the crack and peel instant film? Oh, quite a few. I was just talking to Matt about this. You know, it's sort of like the, the buyer's market, buy, sell, greed. I said to Matt, I'm like, Matt, why does 
the existing inventory of FP100C, why is it going to go, wind up going up to $50? Why can't it just be stopped? Why can't Midwest just sell it, you know, for $20 a pack or, you know, $15 a pack? And then we both understood that, let's say Midwest did sell it for, I don't know, twelve ninety nine a pack. Somebody else would buy it, and they, then you'd see it on the bay that right. afternoon. They, yeah. There's no stopping this humanness. <laughs> you can't stop it. So because so if you're a nice guy and you're like, oh, I'm just going to sell for twelve ninety nine. Oh, pack. thanks, nice guy. I'm yeah. going to rip you Everyone off. Everyone you're yeah. selling it to is going to jack the price up to 50 bucks a pack. Yeah. So it's just, you know, seller's, seller's, seller's market. market. Yeah. Seller's market. It's free trade. It's what's hot, what's not. And sadly, uh, it's really hot right now. Uh, I've been getting a lot more emails about pack cameras. I think it's just everyone's in panic mode now. Because the last few stashes have been discovered. Yes. Now, side note to that, if you are somebody that still has pack film and you want a high-end pack film camera, holy sheesh, those cameras are cheap. Prices have gone down. I saw 195 the other day sell for $110. Like, that's a $1,000 camera. So I guess it's sort of like... What? If you yes. are ho- if you believe that a company will make the mm-hmm. pill apart the film, film, yeah, stock up on your cameras now. Yeah, or if you have a, st- a stockade and you wanted to kind of make that upgrade to something else, it's it's the times now. Yeah, back in the day, remember the old FPP and Butler? I had buckets and buckets and buckets. I had a little workroom specifically for me to work on pack cameras. Mm-hmm. I got out those battery compartments, you know, put in either the AAAs or the uh, lithiums. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was fun. It was just such a beautiful format, and film was like seven dollars a pack. Yep, just grab a pack, test it. Didn't matter. There was black and white pack. film. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, both uh, of mean, them. Early FPP. There was FP one hundred B film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just there was still Polaroid film floating around. Do you have any footage of that old room? Like somewhere, like, maybe you oh. should just take that footage and upload it with like some Sarah McLaughlin music. <laughs> 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 so you can go to uh you can go to your google and type in save pack film uh doc florian caps yes the uh the first impossible project guy is now uh, on a mission to save pack film and we're all hopeful and waiting to see He's taking on, you know why? He's taking on a big responsibility. Almost mm. impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he typed it to see if he can get that domain, but he saw it was taken. Oh. Uh, well, so we're, we're hopeful. The 60-second excitement. It's everywhere. Do you have your Polaroid color pack camera? Hey, we're back. Leslie, you look, like, you look like you want to do a segment. I got a segment. No, no, the doctor does. Oh, the doctor is in. The doctor has a segment. Take it away, doc. Thanks. This is, this is an actual, these are actual patients whose identities we protect. <laughs> I live in a very dry state, and the massive development chart tells me to wash negatives for 10 minutes. I don't want to waste water, but I also want archival negatives. Hmm. Hmm. Vitals. Vitals are. Here goes the conversation. Black and white film. Okay. 
just by chance, it's important in the end, what type of fixer are you using? A rapid fix or a regular fix? Mm -hmm. Ammonium thiosulfate or a sodium thiosulfate? What? And you must have your own teeth to be able to say that. (laughs) (laughs) So my diagnosis is I do not consider 10 minutes of washing time for any black and white film long enough especially if you are using a rapid fixer. Rapid fixer is harder to wash out than a standard sodium type of fixer. So I can, thanks to Mike, cut your running water down. And water, this is is a soapbox I can't get tall enough to talk to you about what I feel about water conservation or wasting water. Some places here in the U.S., water is very expensive to buy. cities west coast especially we just let it run here we don't care we will care we will care so my my diagnosis um we can cut this water running water down to and i so like this even better than i'm sorry the ilford method but this is still this is proven track proven archival and i used to use permawash But I can tell you that when Mike sent me that first sample of FPP's archival permanent wash, I knew it was going to be a winner. I can look at the ingredient list and know this is what I want. This is not sponsored content. It is not. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you, as passionate as I am about this, if the FPP version would not have been equal to or better than, I would not be using it. So wash, one-minute running water. We have previously taken three ounces of the archival permanent wash and mixed it to a gallon of water. So it's highly concentrated, lasts a long time, wash one minute, pour in our diluted archival permanent wash, slosh it around, one minute. Pour it back into your container. This is reusable. This is reusable, unless you're doing a ton of film, at least six months. What is in your original stock is not affected by oxygen. It will last for years. Nothing disturbs it. So it will not oxidize. It is such a smart purchase for you. So we'll get back to the film. We've poured it back. One more minute of running water, and you're done. That water only ran for two minutes, and your negatives will last 100 years if you need them. And I learned about archival, in this case, permawash, or a little bit before, a product called Kodak HypoClear uh, from the old geezer that taught me (coughs) how to process film. Well, we called him Foz, which was short for fossil. (laughs) So that doesn't tell you. (laughs) But um, I have all of his negatives, and they look like they were processed yesterday. I have a track record for him that goes back into the early 40s when he was shooting. And, um, you know, that's 75 years ago now. So the the stuff has always done well for me. And like I said, he started off using a product called Kodak HypoClear. You mix HypoClear, it has about a two-day life. Mixes, (laughs) Mixes from a powder, oxidizes. Does what it's supposed to do, but there's a lot of waste to it. With this other product... It's fantastic. I don't know. What's this retail for in the store? Is it $20, something like that? But you, it's going to take you years to use this bottle, literally years. 
find out. Okay. Keep talking. But one <laughs> one minute wash, one minute soak, one minute wash, and you save it. At that point, photo flow, and you're done. How long can you the dilution that you mix to use? How long will that last? There, there's a, a recommended film count, but um, without a problem, six months. Oh no, kidding. Exactly. Or how many rolls? A million six. I don't know. <laughs> is it okay to use tap water? Yes, uh, it is. I uh, just ask, is it okay to mix this with tap water rather than distilled or osmosis or something, reverse osmosis? <coughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It has a very, very high ammonia smell to it. Mm -hmm. I say very high, not that high that you've got, you know, oh, I'm going to get knocked over with it. Uh, I can also tell you, too, that if you get a mosquito bite and you take a little bit of that, that archival permanent wash and touch on there, you'll never itch again. So the, the, um, the, girls in, the girls in the office where I used to work, the photo store, they used to make me bottle this stuff up in the little film cans, and we put tape on it. We just call it Skeety Killer. So I don't know, but it's... But it's the ammonia that's in it, because you know products like that have ammonia in it to stop the itch. But dual purpose, George Eastman would love that. Everything was to be dual purpose. So while you're looking that up, this letter comes in. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey. Hi. This yeah. is from Steve Tester. He does not necessarily put where he's from. Does it matter? $20. Hi, Mike. Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Twenty bucks. That's it. That is great, and that's years. That product, once you use out of it. Out of that stock solution does not deteriorate. It does not oxidize. It only goes downhill with use and fear. This stuff's <laughs> been around six months. I know it's still good, but I'm going to mix some new anyway. How many gallons can you mix from the concentrate quart? It's 128. No, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a quart, right? Quart, yeah. Okay. So it's three ounces to a gallon of that. So gallons. So, gallons. So you mix a gallon from the concentrate. Uh, no, three ounces of the concentrate into a gallon of water. Oh, okay. So it gets even better. So how many three ounces in a quart, approximately? Uh, nine and about nine and a half, so nine and a half gallons. Oh, it's going to last you a good long time. Years. Okay. Years. If you think that gallon's going to last you half a year, there you go. Right. So anyway, hi, Mike. I have a question for Dr. Lazenby when you get back from summer break. What film chemicals can be stored together in the same storage oh. box? Specifically, working chemicals waiting for their next use. I currently have a separate clear storage box with lids for each chemical, and I would like to know if I can safely store two or more together. Safely mentioned again. Further, if required, can I store my mixed stock D76 with my stop bath and my fixed mixed chemistry? Thanks, Steve. Almost always, for the most part, yes. They're in their containers, and their lids are on tight. You don't have a thing to worry about. They don't osmosis from one into the other. And I just chatted just briefly with Matt ahead of time. Is there any rules maybe we should be following? Are there any that we shouldn't store together side by side? Yes. And Matt, Matt said yes. And, well, he kind of already caveated that with the pre-mixed, but... Um, Darkroom rules in general, you want to have a dry side, you want to have a wet side. So wet mix doesn't mix with dry mix. Yes, right. At I, least keep those separate. I didn't think separate. about that, yeah, but that's... Keep those separate. Um, most of these chemicals are, are, once mixed into a regular working solution, are, are much safer than anything that you have under your sink, and those aren't all 
Tupperware separate and, and everything like that. So um, keep, you can keep them together, ready to use. Um, some uh, you might want to have in, in bottles that can uh, gas out, like the old, uh, oh gosh, who made those bottles? The, the accordion style bottles. Yes, mm -hmm. I have a couple of those for, um, for developers that oxidize over time. So. Delta. Delta. That's who made them. CPM um, Delta. Those are a little thinner, but even even so, there's nothing. If there's something so aggressive that it's eating through that bottle uh, <laughs> or getting through that cap somehow, we probably don't want to put our film in it ever. Generally, for the most part, you can once mixed, store them together, cap them off, keep them away from the kids. Mm -hmm. Don't let the dog lick them. Any questions about chemistry? Mixing chemistry? Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Joseph Brunch is going to ask a question <laughs> about mixing chemistry? What? No, 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 it's about the permawash. Oh, okay. oh, about the permawash. Do you know if that stuff is septic safe or not? I have a lot of trouble dealing with septic tank. Got it. Uh, Joseph asked, do we know if that product is septic safe? Went down my septic okay. system. <laughs> I used to live strictly septic system. To be continued, no. <laughs> and it really had no problem with the septic sy system as far as it killing what was there that's needed to be in one to activate it. What if um, you... And it is ammonia. So remember, there's a lot of ammonia base on that. So that's fine. Yeah, Leslie, what if you took, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, maybe 20 packets of Blix and flushed them <laughs> into your septic? <laughs> would, there, would there be burping going on down there? <laughs> oh. Septic tanks are made to burp. Oh, okay. They need to have that action to <laughs> yeah. eat things up. How many people here have a septic as, instead of a sewer, a city sewer? Sit oh, on. that's quite a bit. And remember, when you do put chemistry down a drain into that, heat dissolve and cold kills. So all the time I'm dumping chemistry down there, I will usually crank the hot water on first to dissolve everything and highly dilute it, and then it gets followed up with cold. So the cold kills, kind of neutralizes it. Things don't work well cold, and the heat dissolves it. So I always ran both when I disposed of chemistry in that method. Leslie, would you consider writing up a, you know, a few paragraph blog about how to properly dispose it? Yeah. Or we could go back to the segment I did, Joseph, on this already. We'll look it up. You did? I did. I talked yeah, about this once before. Because okay, I did on get the proper, the proper way <laughs> to dispose of chemistry and I talked about all of them because fixers sometimes you really shouldn't in the city you should collect them mm -hmm. you can turn them in on on certain days or times of the year and that kind of thing yeah but we'll see if we can find that and resurrect it and um, maybe even turn it into a blog too because some folks are freaked out about you know flushing mm -hmm. chemicals down the drain you know we're all sensitive to environmental these days uh, and we just, I think we just all want to know, is it safe to do? Sure. We don't want to eat our pipes up, right. too, by putting something too acidic down there all yeah. the way around. Terrific. So we'll see if we can do that. Remind oh, me yeah. about that, if you would. Mark O'Brien has a question. That's why I like the, mo like the monobath segment yesterday, because people had that question. Oh, okay. And because you're not mixing up a lot of chemicals, it all comes in the bottle. If you're in a household with small children or whatever, you don't want to have a bunch of stuff around anyways. But... This makes it easy because you, your fixer and your developers all together, and it's a discrete unit, and you can just tuck it away somewhere and then bring it out when you need to use it. You don't have to mix things up. Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Leslie. You're welcome. Time was the 1990s. <laughs> I was I, I'd be at Comcast directing a multi-camera, not yet, a multi-camera religious program with talking heads, as we call it. 
So basically, they're talking out there in the studio, and there's not much work for me to do. So I'm with my popular photography magazine, thumbing through the back. My bottom jaw open in awe, looking at that 600 millimeter lens that I want for my Canon A1. Look, wow, it's so cheap. All I have to do is get in my car on Sunday, drive to New York, go to Olden Camera. Oh, jeez, yeah. And pick up that really awesome lens. But I'm here today, I'm talking to Mark, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to talk about these. Oh. I'm going to talk about these lenses, 500 millimeter lens, 600 millimeter lens, mirrorless lens. I'm like, wait a minute. Those, those lenses caught the imagination of every young person back in the 1990s. Like, I want that lens. And then when you finally get it, you don't know what the heck to do with it. Right. So, so we're talking about catadioptric lenses, which are basically a mirror that you would, like you would find in a, in a reflecting telescope. Yeah. And so it's sending that image up to another collecting point and down into the camera. So you're taking what would normally be a 500 millimeter lens you're condensing everything down because you're reflecting this image off and up inside the camera so it's about half the length it would normally be or even less than that and there are you know there's always this temptation oh yeah i get one of these lenses i can do moon shots i can do wildlife and all that yeah yeah you're limited by one aspect two things in this and that is they're basically all f8 lenses that's correct Unless they have a little um, stop down in the, in the rear somewhere. but What's wrong with that? Not <laughs> much light. Oh. And the key there is not much light. So you have to have it on a tripod. Yes. You could handhold them if you've got really fast film and all that. Like but P- Pmax 3200? But, the, you know, nothing is ever free. <laughs> you know, there, there's oh, always right, a compromise right, right. somewhere, right? So you've got this lightweight lens that's sitting on your camera it's not a lot of glass in there and it doesn't stick out very far you can yeah you can you know take it around with you and do your shots of course all your little highlights you're going to get donuts all over your images Uh, with mm -hmm. the specular highlights caused by the reflector area of the lens so when you say get donuts explain that a little bit more so typically when we take a photograph with with a regular lens yeah you'll have these little circles of confusion that you see out there we might call it bokeh in some ways but you've got little depending upon your aperture and your background and all that you'll see like little light circles there's little holes in the leaves you got little light specular lights coming through and you'll see little circles those aren't too unpleasing depending upon your how you want your shot to look but with a cat lens or these mirror lenses um you're going to get little bright donuts all over mm-hmm. the place and they were typically used a lot by wildlife photographers because you could have something that was relatively fast and relatively light and for action shots they, they kind of liked them but they were also probably using ones made by nikon or canon um there were some there were a few that were well-made um well-made lenses the ones you saw in the back of the olden cat in the olden catalog or the spiratone lenses. Oh yeah, oh. that is, that was it. Yeah, the yes. spiratone. They are cheap, and they're cheap for a reason. They're not all that great, <laughs> and so you get one and you've used it half a dozen times, and then it's like, oh, I don't really like this. Yeah. So, as a result, they end up giving in in people's 
cupboards and so forth over the years. And guess what people send into the, into the FPP? Uh, oh, my gosh. We don't know boxes. what to do with them. Yeah, they don't know what to do with them. Now, we don't either. That's, for some people, that may be the thing that they really, oh, yeah, I really like this, and, and that's okay. But you're never going to get as good an image with those as you're going to get with a regular series of lenses in your camera. Right. The other part is people think because it's light, I can handhold it. But you, no way. it's a 500-millimeter lens, so everything is magnified, yep. and you really want to clamp, get a frickin' tripod. Frickin' right? tripod. <laughs> and so they are, I mean, I think everyone has their own views on camera accessories. You know, they, they, they like to use what what works for them. But I would, I would say that they used to get a lot of hype. Today, people hardly even know about them. Yeah. Um, but at one time, I remember seeing the account, oh, yeah, I'd like to get one of Why these Why did they things. get so hyped? Because they were inexpensive. You did not have to have a lot of glass. I mean, if you've got aspherical elements and all that, say so you have a really good 500-millimeter lens from Nikon, it's big, it's heavy. It's going to, if it was a F5.6 or F4, you know, you're talking a lot of bucks there. But you could get your little 500-millimeter cat lens for... 189 or something like that, maybe even 99.95 from Spirotone. Right. And stick it on your Pentax K-mount or whatever, because most of those were T-mount lenses, and you would figure out which one you wanted to use with your camera. So, and so um, they had mounts for everything, just about. But they weren't necessarily great lenses to begin with. They were inexpensive to manufacture. And sometimes, if you look at some of those older lenses, the mirrors have, have gotten a little desilvered or even... Mm. Uh, they get a little deposit of dust on them or something like that, and you're getting getting the full effect of them. So, I would if you see one somewhere and it's and you know you want to try one out, great, but don't expect you're going to get the best images of your life with them. It's I think they promised a lot, and for did. some people they were okay, but not great. Yeah, no question. But comment. Don't always blame this on the lens. Right. You've got to remember you're going through a lot more atmospheric haze. And crap in the air when you're using this. Here to here, not so much. Here to downtown, there's a there's a lot of crap floating around in Finley's air, and that's in between you and the and that image. So there's a little bit of that going on too. Wow. Did yeah. You, did you own one, Mark? Oh, I've I've had them over the years. You did, know. But something. did you buy it? No, no. I haven't bought anything like that. Okay. New. They've always just sort of turned up. Oh, here you want this? And but the thing is, is that. Um, they aren't bad. They're not great either. And there are obviously the ones that you, you buy the brand names are going to be better made and have probably better qualities than the cheap ones. Yeah. Oh. We have to remember, too, <laughs> a brand like Sigma or even like Tamron. Tamron is a lens manufacturer. So chances are if you're buying a Nikon brand or a Canon brand, it's probably a Tamron or today, a Minolta or a Sony, because they turn the specs into them, and they crank them out. So even if you're thinking, ugh, here's this Nikon one and so much money, I can get a Tamron for a little bit less, don't be afraid of that. It's going to be right up there with it. So there's only so many lens manufacturers out there, but that's uh, one reason still why there's some that are dirt cheap, and some of those what look like third party may not be. Especially if you go back into the... 70s when a lot of these cat lenses in the mm. 80s they started turning up there were lots of manufacturers that were putting out things um and there's actually uh you can go online there's a chart somewhere and it's and you can 
look at the name that's on your lens and find out who actually made it. Because in some cases, it'll make three or four companies made things like for sun optics, all this kind of stuff. There were all, only a few factories. But then, you know, you're probably getting the quality of the manufacturing, the price point will determine how well that lens is going to work. Cat lenses, if you find one, you know, play with it. But um, I think you get your best result with under the most optimum conditions, they might be kind of good for moon photography, lunar photography. Um, Are but they cheap enough? So that uh, very cheap. Oh, yeah, they're very cheap. You could pay, in fact, I bet if you looked on eBay right now, you could probably pick one up for 50 bucks or less. Interesting. So to play with. Yeah. By the way, would you happen to know, let's say you have your 60, 600, 500 or 600 millimeter F8 lens. What... Do you have uh, in your in your mind the uh, cheat sheet for shooting? Let's say a full bright moon. There's film yeah. speed. Tell him the film speed. Put you on the spot. You're, you're putting me on the spot. But basically, you're looking at reflected sunlight. Okay. So people get you know they, oh it's dark out with that moon. You're looking <laughs> at a, the reflected sunlight on the moon. So it's going to be f eight at whatever your film speed is. Okay, very nice. It's on that Black Cat Exposure Guide that we yes, have. Yes, it is. You got Sunny 16 and Lunar 8. Lunar 8. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Very nice. Boy, Thank I, you, Mark. I had to pull that one out of my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do a quick giveaway. I don't what want you giving away. Giving oh, how about one of those Blue Moon uh, gift certificates? Oh, yeah. Ooh. This yeah, is uh, our, 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 our Pacific Pals... Blue Moon camera. Um, I'll, I'll give a talk about them later. But yep. they um, gave me some gift, gift certificates to give away, and they include free developing and printing, and it's optical printing mm-hmm. of your Ooh. of your black and white or color film. Very nice. Judy Nunley. You won. You won. All right. You won. <laughs> Hey. Corey Miller? Corey Miller. Enjoy your color slides as never before with new Perutz color film. Brilliant natural colors, wide exposure latitude. Yes, now with new exclusive plastic mounts for better slide projection. Perutz, now processed faster than any other film. Perutz. Let's talk about microfilm. Hey. Hey, we're back. We're back. Yes, sir. So, I don't know how many, have, how many folks here have shot 35 millimeter microfilm, let's say. Or technical pan, ADOX. Oh, come on. The blue people. fire the police. Be, be adventurous. <laughs> See, that's the thing, Dan. It's, it's not popular. But and it should be. it's so <laughs> awesome, and there's so many benefits to it. So what comes to mind just just to open up the conversation? Well, uh, let's uh, let's do the pros and cons then. Okay, uh, great. Uh, number one pro for me, it is cheap. Go on uh, eBay and you'll find uh, since uh, a lot of folks are going towards digital uh, archival stuff, uh, microfilm is pretty cheap. And if it's out of date, uh, they're not going to use it for their precious precious information. So it goes on the secondary market. And the thing about microfilm is it degrades very little over time since it is so slow. 
Uh, we'll save that for the con, I guess. Okay. Uh, another pro is that it's sharp. Uh, it, its uh, purpose was to accurately reproduce uh, information. So anything like grain or uh, any cloudiness would be very uh, detrimental. So it's one of the sharpest films beyond some esoteric uh, holography films out there. Um, other ones, uh, other pluses? It's fun. It's, it's fun. It's something <laughs> that, that you can do. Uh, unfortunately, it also has so many cons to it. Right. Uh, Before we get to the cons, what comes to mind is the Kodak 2468, which is that red. Oh, exactly, yeah. And on one of your blogs or, or one of your web pages, I mean, you got some really awesome results from this black and white film. Uh, yeah, and uh, the sprockets. Yeah, that should be one one of the uh, one of the things here. Most uh, uh, microfilm is black and white. Right. They do mm-hmm. make uh, color uh, microfilm, but it's uh, very far, uh, few and far between, and it's a lot more expensive. So if you're buying microfilm, uh, it's going to be black and white film for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good side about that is if you develop black and white film already, you know how to do uh, black and white uh, microfilm. Yeah. Uh, it takes some special, a little bit of special processing, but uh, you'll, you'll have all the equipment on, on hand. It's interesting because it's called microfilm, when in fact what we're talking about is 35 millimeter film. But is 35 considered micro, Leslie? Sub miniature. Sub miniature. Sub miniature. Yep. Well, well, that might be a, a good good thing to uh, bring up what sizes it comes in. Yeah. But, uh, Mark, a question, question first. Though? Well, one of the reasons that they also call it microfilm is used for micro photography because they're taking. Large thing in in the scheme of things, they're taking large things and making them very small, making them micro, because you can't fit a, a page of a magazine one to one on a sheet of film unless it's a big sheet of film. Um, so you're re- reducing that a great deal to the point where you have to use something on the order of a microscope to read it again or right. a, a viewing machine. So like in a library, like microfiche, right. microfilm. So it's it's not that the film is small. It's that the, the use of it requires microphotography to reproduce these things. And the film is so fine-grained that right. you could shoot a page of text and then use a machine to blow it up to a screen to, to right. view it. And it's uh, high-resolving power. Oh, well. Exactly. The, uh, in fact, they used to use it in uh, the military. You know, the, the microfilm uh, is probably the uh, subject of a lot of uh, World War II movies. You know, we had the microfilm. Yeah. The microdots. The microdots, yes. The Mr. Brown has kicked in. I need to correct myself. 35 millimeter. It's called miniature. miniature film. Anything smaller than 35 is sub miniature. Right. It's Mr. Brown's fault. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. Microfilms, what sizes they come in? Mm-hmm. Uh, the most common one you'll find out there is 16 millimeter. Uh, in fact, I gave, uh, I guess, 1,000 feet of that to, to Mike uh, yesterday yeah. um, <laughs> for his uh, uh, amusement. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, uh, the standard microfilm, uh, sometimes it'll come in cartridges. Uh, sometimes it'll just come in a in a reel. Uh, the one I gave uh, Mike actu- actually comes in a cartridge, uh, and it's wound uh, kind of backwards, so the emulsion is facing out instead of towards the core. Interesting. Uh, I found that out the hard way, shooting through the anti-halation uh, layer. So, <laughs> uh, but what other sizes? They have 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a 35 millimeter will fit in your 35 millimeter camera just fine. And they also, uh, if anybody ever was uh, in the military or someplace else, uh, uh, they have a microfiche, which yes. is a chunk of film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have that size, too. It's 105 millimeters, and it comes on a reel. Uh, so 
Uh, if you uh, really wanted to, you could chop it up into uh, four by five sheets and use yep. it into your uh, uh, large format cameras. In fact, uh, one of the fun things I used to do is to take that and slit it down to uh, whatever 122 uh, film is and oh. use it in my uh, Kodak uh, 3 Alpha. Uh, the problem is finding the backing paper for that. <coughs> right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the big ones, uh, you can slit it down to medium format. You can use it in your antique cameras that take, took weird uh, types of film. You can chop it up, use it in your uh, large format cameras. Uh, the 35 millimeters, uh, there's a lot of 35 millimeter cameras out there. Uh, and also uh, 16 millimeters, 16 millimeter cameras, uh, like the Minolta 16. Um, and also you can reload uh, 110 film uh, in the, into the cartridges and use, use it like that. What are the cons? Uh, the cons. Well, it, con, uh, con, 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 con. Uh, well, one of the one of the big cons is this uh, microfilm is slow. Uh, if you get uh, primary microfilm, it's used to make pictures of magazines, stuff like that. You can normally rate that around uh, 25 ISO. Right. However, a lot of uh, microfilm is copy microfilm, right. which is, goes down very, very low. So you're talking uh, 0.8 ISO. Yeah. Um, con number two, uh, anti-halation uh, properties. Not very much of them. You know, you're using this stuff in a laboratory. You're not worried about uh, reflections. So a lot of times you'll get some light piping. Uh, one of my colleagues out here had uh, a good uh, workaround for it for the 35 millimeters to put a, a, a dead leader onto your film. So draw it into the camera. It's still protected in the can uh, and uh, gets drawn into the camera uh, without that uh, being exposed to the light. So there's no opportunity for light piping. Right. Uh, and, and one of the big things, uh, especially with 35 millimeter, is generally it is not uh, does not have sprockets on it. So mm. I, I shouldn't say all of them do not. Uh, there right. there are some that do have have sprockets, but uh, yeah, you can get them cheaper. Yeah, it means you can get them even cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and there are uh, a couple of ways around this. Uh, first of all, if you have an old, uh, you know, uh, Canon AE1 or something like that. Uh, you can take the take-up uh, sprocketed uh, reel on there and build that up with electrical tape or Sugru or, uh, you know, RTV, whatever, to make it uh, a friction drive instead of a sprocketed drive. Uh, the problem with that is the, the spacing for your shots gets uh, non-standard. Right. <laughs> so when you're trying to scan these things, you put it in the holder, and there's one frame here, and there's one frame over here. And, uh, however, uh, as, as we all know here, one of the best uh, cameras to use for 35mm uh, microfilm is the uh, EOS 10S. Yeah. It's my favorite, uh, favorite yes. EOS body here. I do. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, is, uh, it was a very popular Greek camera. It was the prosumer camera of the time, so it has got a lot of features on it, like uh, uh, as a bar scanner that you can do the bar scanning, put that information. You know, you try it once, and then you never try it again. Right. Uh, trust me. Uh, <laughs> uh, it has an intervalometer on it. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the good thing about it is if you open up the back, here's the sound of that. Yeah, <laughs> auditory uh, medium. Uh, most most cameras in the EOS line have a uh, a 
infrared sensor that senses the yes. sprockets and d does the position of the film. This one does not. It has this little wheel right here which feels the film yep. and, and does not uh, uh, use the infrared uh, sensor system. On the plus side, you can use uh, uh, infrared film in these cameras just fine. There's no uh, infrared sensor there to fog the film. And also, if you're using sprocketless film, it works just fine here. Uh, the only thing that you have to do is you have to uh, tape the, uh, the microfilm on the other side, the take-up reel, so it can actually take it up. Uh, there is a little thing on there to catch a sprocket, but since it has no sprockets, right. you can't do that. Uh, I used to punch a one sprocket hole in the, the mic. Yeah, don't, don't, don't do that. Just tape it on there. It works fine. Yeah. Uh, now, what type of tape do you use so that when the camera rewinds and gets that tape, you don't destroy the... And it's just black gaffer's tape. Uh, it'll, it'll suck the tape up, and it'll suck the tape into the, uh, uh, the can. Okay. Or uh, this, this camera has a lot of stuff you can pr program. You can program leader out. Yes, so it's a great, so great leader feature. out. Uh, I don't do that just because if it's a leader out, uh, I will I'll shoot over that thing once again. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I know that if it's in the can, it's exposed. So, so that's the, the best camera I have found for uh, uh, 35-millimeter microfilm. It uh, has perfect spacing, fits in your, uh, your scanner just fine. Uh, types of microfilm, or no? We're still on the uh, uh, cons. cons. We're still on the cons, right? Yes. Uh, let's see what other cons. Um, again, being so slow, uh, if you're doing 25 uh, ISO, uh, that's not so bad. It's not so slow. Yeah, you 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 have stuff that can, uh, 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 you know, there's stuff commercial stuff that's out there uh, that's that slow. Uh, but when you get in the copy film and it's, um, you know. ISO 0.8 or 0.6 or something like that. Uh, you can still do that handheld. You know, get get your flat, fast glass on your right. camera and go out in nice bright sunshine, and, uh, and it's not not so bad. Uh, another con is the contrast. Okay. Uh, uh, you are shooting film that was designed to reproduce black stuff on white background, so high contrast is very very important for that. Uh, however, there are ways around that. Uh, probably the easiest way is to use a very soft working developer. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, uh, we have, have Technidol mm -hmm. uh, used for um, TechPan, uh, or I guess Photographer's Formulary has TD3. Yep. Um, and anything that has uh, LS in the name, or, um, or LC, excuse me, low contrast, is normally something safe to use. Uh, if you like, uh, you know, granola and wheatgrass juice, you can use caffeinol, LC. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's probably about the safest thing you can put down your sink as well. Yeah. Uh, compensating developers usually work better than solvent developers. So uh, uh, pyro is a good thing to do. Uh, you won't get much stain on it since the emulsion is so thin, but uh, it's a nice soft working developer. Uh, but you can use any developer. You can use XTOL, D76, if you dilute it down. Uh, if you do dilute it down, say, 1 to 10, and increase the amount of time to an hour if you stand developing, right. uh, you can cut down the contrast to make it uh, near normal. It's never going to be as broad as commercial film, but yeah. it's, it's what you're going for. Yeah. 
So have I covered all the cons? Uh, I think so. It's hard to get people rallying behind the microfilm. I mean, I love it. I shoot with it. Oh, yes, question. Well, and I think because it, it, they tend to be rather esoteric um, for most people, but it's also it's not something you would find on the massive development chart because generally they're not pictorial films. Yeah. And it's hard enough to even find, you know, what's the best recipe for Codalith, for example, which is an ISO of 12, very high contrast, um, I mean, some things like Technodal, those fall off the chart, too, because they become historical films now. They're no longer being made. So you, there is a community of people out there who keep track of some of these things and share the, the best developers and so forth. And it's on APUG a lot, I think, and other groups. But the information's out there, and people try and share it as much as possible. Sometimes people find things that really work for them, and they don't tell anybody about it because <laughs> they don't want anyone to know how they got their great cool. results. I asked a question. I know. Uh, is, I know you were going to list types, but just, uh, I guess I'm jumping ahead. Oh, that's fine. Uh, is, does image setting film uh, fit into that, that category? Um, that's a weird one. It's, it's a laboratory film. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. Because I know that stuff is Unknown. ridiculously high contrast stuff, but that's usually like monster rolls, like these weird, weird uh, sizes that start at like 20 inches or something so I mean it's like yeah. for pre-prep for press work yeah press yeah. copy work but there's still tons of it out there oh. yeah it's almost like lith film yeah what is it called does it have a brand name image setting film it's usually Kodak yeah it, it's bro- with sprockets no it's, it's sheets it's, yeah. oh it's sheets it's, well it's a roll sheets. okay yeah. okay sheets. oh we have a question there's no range okay so the answer for everybody else out there uh, we had a uh, listener Brian Fisher uh, made an astute comment. He worked with image setting film for years. And don't try image setting film at home if you're trying to do anything pictorial, unless you want black, white, or black, or white. Right. White and black. You can have all of those you want. <laughs> that was yeah. great. That, uh, you just saved me like $300, so thank you. <laughs> there, there are no grays there. <laughs> you might get grays if you shot with a dot screen. Oh. Oh. I find that uh, the Fuji HR2 film is gold standard. Yeah, it's it's yeah. not readily available on eBay, but it pops up uh, now and then in either 16 millimeter, which can be used for 110, 35 millimeter sprocketless. Was there a sprocketed version? I do not think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the big uh, uh, microfilm manufacturers out there are, of course, Fuji. Uh, and Kodak, uh, they have um, their microfilm brand is Datalink. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like it's digital, but if you just uh, search Datalink on uh, on eBay, you'll find right. you'll find their stuff there. Uh, and that works uh, works well. Uh, I've done I've used uh, ImageLink FS uh, works fine, twenty five ISO. Right. Uh, and there's another big manufacturer out there uh, called Ozofen. They're a uh, European manufacturer. Uh, I have written to them to get some samples, uh, but I have not received them yet, so right. I'm not sure what the characteristics are. How, how do you spell that? Uh, O-Z-O-P-H-E-N, okay. Ozo, Ozofen or Ozofen or something like that. So let's say you're psyched. You're like, I got my Canon 10S camera ready to check. I went on eBay. I got a roll of Fuji HR2 ISO 25 black and white film, no sprockets. Check. 
you get it, you have your film loader, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, my film loader, I need, I need sprockets to <laughs> use my film loader. How am I going to load the film into cartridges? Sprockets, yeah. Uh, what, do, what do we do? <laughs> and I've, I've, I mean, I, I go in my darkroom and I just, you know, cobble together a roll for myself. But I haven't made the film available to any FPP listeners because I can't figure out a way. How do I load? Uh, well, uh, just a few things. When you get your 100-foot your roll, because they, they don't come in any other size, 100-foot uh, uh, is normally the standard, although some are 215-foot just because the meter conversion, whatever. Uh, but you're going to get them in a daylight loading reel. So that's uh, a reel which has flanges on both sides of the film to keep the light from striking it. And basically uh, it's designed to take it out of the box, rip it out in room light, put it on your machine, and you just sacrifice whatever uh, film is there. And the, the flanges keep the light from, from coming in the side. Uh, normal pictorial film, you'll just get it on a, a small, small thing. So you need a, uh, a um, bulk loader that can handle the flanges. Uh, the what, Alden or the Holden 74? There's some so that more Bakelite one. Yeah, the more Bakelite that kind of looks like a teardrop. Yeah. Those are fine. The bug yeah. shape. You can just no put that baby in there yeah. and, and, and go. Also known as a Watson or a Western. Western yeah. It doesn't yeah. use sprockets to... It does use the sprockets. Uh, however, you can just uh, ram that stuff through, and the sprocket counter will scratch the film. So what? But so what? Because that's only on the, the sprocket the side. side. Yeah, it's not, not going in the image area. Right. So, so you're fine. Uh, there's also other bulk loaders that require your microfilm to be loaded on one of those little baby uh, uh, centers. And, and that, that's annoying because your hands are inside of a bag sweating while you're doing this for 100 feet of film. Film sweats. Right. Yeah, you get this. So, so wear your nitrile gloves while you're doing that. Right, okay. <laughs> and, and they'll do the same thing. The counter will scratch, uh, will scratch uh, but not in the image area. Right. If you're, if you're really into it like I am, I just modified one, took that baby out of there, and uh, uh, didn't replace it with anything, so it just kind of flows through. Uh, but you don't get the, the count, so you have to kind of like, let's see, there are 25 turns normally is a 36 roll, roll film. So. We have a question. We have a question. We have a really uningenious way of counting off 24 frames of this stuff. In your bathroom at home, you sacrifice a roll of Kodak Gold 200. No, you tape it on the back <laughs> of your bathroom door, and you go in there and you start. You go down like this, snip it off, and then you roll it in your cassette. Yeah. I have been known to do that. That's good but for I get a, But I get a 24 roughly yeah. roll, yeah, so... Let's say, have you shot the Fuji HR2? Uh, maybe just a roll or two. That's it. Okay. Right down Sandusky Street, the other direction. I remember where I went on it. So uh, I have, yes. I highly recommend, I mean, mm -hmm. if you could afford to get, you know, well, I, I recommend everyone get a Canon EOS. So this is a great, <laughs> this is a great reason to, to, you know, get a Canon EOS 10S. And of course, you know, still floating around. There is, you know, some color, uh, color IR occasionally yeah, the, on the, the web. The, the, Black the, and white IR. The camera bodies were incredibly popular when they were uh, um, uh, in the primary market. Right. So there's a lot of them out there. They're they're pretty inexpensive. However, uh, one 
kind of failure mode that they do have is they have a piece of uh, bumper in the shutter box which deteriorates over over time it's not like your the seals on an old camera will get will turn to tar right. and that's exactly what happens happens inside here however you can you can manage that uh, if you look on instructables I, I have something that tells you exactly how to clean it how to clean the blades, uh, how to do that. And once it's done, uh, normally do it once and the rest of the, rest of the life of the camera is fine. Um, however, if it starts to gum up again, you can uh, just do it again. It's, uh, it's, it's a management. Yeah. I own two, two bodies and I haven't experienced that yet. So what is the, how do you know when it... Uh, just, just open up the back. No, how do you know, yeah. Look at the look at the shutter. Uh, shutter will have a greasy, grimy, tarry stain on mine it. Mine is starting to happen, and so how much time do I have? Uh, after a while, your your exposure will start to get wonky okay. because it'll get too much exposure. Sometimes only a half a frame will be exposed because right. it kind of only goes halfway, and gotcha. so better 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 do it right now. Right. Mark, what do you got? In fact, we we had that same <laughs> conversation a few months back about the Rebels, the Canon oh, yes. Rebel Gs and so yes. forth. Um, that that shows up in a lot of those, and we, we have to be careful. The greasy with, tear. Yeah, the greasy, <laughs> greasy, greasy, gooey mess. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie? I just checked eBay. $15, $22, buy it now. $8 shipping. You cannot beat that with a stick. I guess you would ask the eBay wow. seller, can you open the back, tell me if there's any a greasy tear. Oh, or just uh, <laughs> t- get a picture, get a picture of the shutter. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, take a picture of the shutter, please. And you, so, wow. and you have, we'll put it in our show notes, I'll be able to add sh- the link to clean that. Oh, yeah, it's all, it's all on Instructables. Uh, in fact, most of the stuff I'm talking about uh, with microfilm is there. I tried to... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I didn't invent a lot of this stuff, but I tried to consolidate it right. in one spot on the Internet. So right. if anybody wants to, to do that, right. uh, I think I called it film hacking because I thought that sounded uh, cool. Right. Uh, I'm not sure. How <laughs> and Dan was kind oh. enough because I've asked you many times. I'm like, oh, can I port this over to FVP? And you're like, yes, and I've yet to oh. port one <laughs> over yet. Uh, but many times we already knew each other. I would be looking something up, and I would come across your – and I'd be like, oh, Dan, awesome. Yep. No. Uh, well, I brought some uh, microfilm with me today. Uh, this is a uh, orthochromatic uh, copy film, so incredibly slow. Look at that. Uh, oh. And you can see it's nice and yellow. Oh. Uh, in fact, if you look through it, see through. Yeah. you uh-huh. can see through because the emulsion is so thin. And the reason it's so thin is because it has to record very sharp uh, lines. So uh, you're not dealing with a, a really nice thick. Uh, and you can see there's very little anti-halation layer on there. Uh, I've got a few rolls. If anybody here wants to try it out, I'm more than happy to to, to give you a roll. Have fun. Uh, I got a thousand foot pancake of this, and you know it's a lifetime's worth. What of, uh, ISO is this film? Uh, this is very slow. Um, I normally shoot it either 1.5 or or uh, uh, 0.75. And, and what do you call it? Uh, well, it's microfilm. It's a uh, copy microfilm. Is there any name to it? Oh, it's like tw- FSX thirty five ten. No, it's <laughs> they're all numbers, so it's uh, twenty seven fifty one or I don't know it's, something like that. It's a, it's a Kodak. It's Kodak. Yeah, so it'd be an SO something. Yeah, just uh, just uh, 
copy microfilm yeah. uh, and, and such a mature technology they've got microfilms that are optimized for magazines and ones that are mag optimized for this or that uh, if you're using for pictorial photography that really doesn't matter so uh, is, uh, is you it find it out there is microfilm still used today to archive? It is the the standard, in fact. Uh, digital, you know, everybody wants to put things on digital, but digital rots as well. Uh, cosmic rays are disturbing your uh, hard drives right now. Wow. Uh, making, making that stuff unreadable. In fact, uh, uh, of course, this is just regular film. Uh, most major digital movies are archived okay. on mm -hmm. uh, color-separated black-and-white film. That's right, damn it. <laughs> it's always out there. That's right. Yeah, er, er, anyone that has a budget, of course, which means that every low, super low-budget independent film shot on digital is just going to rot away. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. Unless, <laughs> unless the savvy filmmaker uh, keeps bouncing their media from drive to drive. Uh, yes, and you'll be doing that to your dead, and then it stops. <laughs> Uh, but but, but uh, microfilm is guaranteed to last at least 500 years. That's a good long time. Well, yeah, if, if, your, comp if your microfilm d deteriorates 499 years, you go back to the manufacturer and uh, get that refund. <laughs> right. Do you know what year microfilm started that started being the... Um, it, it's, it started as soon as photography started. Okay. So a uh, uh, very, very long time ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I would like to, to go through, uh, if you're cruising eBay, uh, what you want to look for. Yeah, good uh, tips. Uh, tips, uh, first of all, there are lots of different uh, microfilms out there. Uh, the one that you want is silver microfilm. Uh, if you get, get come across something called vesicular microfilm, uh, that's worthless. That That's designed to be written on by lasers and it's bubbles and, and an emulsion. Yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, there's also um, a microfilm that uh, is based on the Diazo salts, so Diazo microfilm. Don't do that either. <laughs> I have a roll of that, and I've been trying to make that work by uh, uh, illuminating stuff with uh, ultraviolet light and developing in ammonia. Uh, just, just don't bother. Get, get the silver stuff. That This is basically a black and white film that you can develop uh, any place. Just a fun fact. Okay. Uh, Diazo stuff, yeah, you don't want to mess with it. Uh, there's guys that mess with that in alt process to try and get fancy, and it's, it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's Their eyebrows uh, fall out or something. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's actually safer than oh. decremates, but it's not worth the effort. Yeah. I think it's also a challenge for folks shopping on eBay because the microfilm sometimes comes in unmanageable uh, sizes. Yeah, exactly. A thousand uh, feet. I've got lifetime supplies. And, you know, I, I send a couple of thousand feet to you yep. when, I, when, I, when I run out of room in my freezer. Right. <laughs> um, if, if I was to, the easiest microfilm film to get into is probably Fuji HR2. So yes. It's a beautiful microfilm, uh, handles just fine at ISO 25, easily developed. Um, even, even if you develop it with your most aggressive uh, developer, it still is not so bad. It's it's high contrast, but you could live with that. But if you did your special low contrast developers, uh, you can ac actually make it even even more interesting. And is that Fuji still makes it? Uh, yeah, it's uh, a it's going okay. concern. So it's so cheap on eBay because once it passes expiration, folks that are doing yep. the ar archiving doesn't do wouldn't, not want to touch it. Won't touch it. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, how much is a 100-foot roll of pictorial film these days? Cheapest, uh, 40, 50 bucks? Right. Yes. Yeah. More expensive, 70, mm -hmm. you know. 100 for the Kodak ones, and, yeah. Uh, microfilm, maybe 25, uh, 15 if you buy it in bulk. Right. And uh, you can buy pancakes of 1,000 thousand feet if you can handle that. Right. Or if you can't. That's pretty Get awesome. a new wife. <laughs> no, I was <laughs> <laughs> So if uh, any folks, of course, can, when we're done with this particular episode, you can come up and, if you think you're going to shoot it, grab it. If it's not, in this black thing right here. Leave it. I know I'm grabbing a roll. Can you reserve one for me? Not that anyone's rushing up. <laughs> me first. That's a, yeah, uh -huh. so that's, that's really good information. I ho and I, I hope people will consider trying it because... When you finally, when you develop your film, it's pretty satisfying. Mm -hmm. It gives you very satisfactory results. Yes, Mark. Mike, what films do you have in the store that would approximate a microfilm? Uh, Kodak two four six eight. It's in the black and white film section. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sprocketed, so it's very easy to shoot. It's just low ISO. Is that the red stuff? The red stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've got a whole bunch of that. Yeah, it's it's. It's really a terrific film. It's not a very popular film. And, and that's that a positive film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, Positive film. Yeah. Um, and I should note that uh, microfilms come in uh, valences, so positive or negative. Uh, positive film will give you something like a slide. Uh, negative film will give you something like a negative. I'm guessing that, and I don't know, I'm guessing that the Svema super positive film, which is a positive black and white might be a microfilm. Well, MZ3 is a, is a microfilm. Ah. Mm -hmm. And it's actually uh, very easy to work with. Even you with did a beautiful numbers. blog on MZ3. Was that your blog on MZ3? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Someone <laughs> did a Someone beautiful did a blog <laughs> on MZ3 with beautiful shots on mm -hmm. it. It's, it's really a wonderful film, the MZ3. I think that's an ISO 6 or 8. Still pretty low. It's pretty scary, I think. Yeah, for I think I shot it. Yeah. Of course, if you... Of course, if you own a uh, EOS camera, <laughs> it goes down to ISO 6. Recruiting video. Yes, <laughs> but it also has the exposure compensation. You can do four or five stops. Uh, so you can go 6, 3, yeah. 1.5, 0. 0.75. Uh, so, so, so you can cover everything. Yeah. Also, your handheld meter or mm -hmm. the Black Cat Exposure Guide. Perfect. Which, by the way, Matt... Uh, Matt was, I think, uh, at FBP HQ when we first got those in, or we were yeah. talking about it. I think. So, did you introduce me to it? No. No. Maybe the gent sent me a letter. The black cat guy. But those Might are be. very popular. They're great. Mm -hmm. Good. They go out often. They're in the FPP online store. Mm -hmm. It's just a paper, you know, cardboardy uh, light meter, and it it it'll never let you down, right, Matt? I keep it in my filter pouch. So yeah. Wow. Uh, and it has every ISO. ISO 1, great. ISO 0 0.8, great. Robert Brunges, what episode did I Robert do a segment Brunges. on that? I mean... <laughs> Robert Brunges. Someone, someone recommended, <laughs> recommended the black cat. Okay. Joseph. And then I guess you guys Yeah, we used to, I used to sell them here in town. Yeah. And then the way we went with it. Yeah, very cool. Neat piece. Thank you, Dan. One last question. You're, so you're known as Nano Burger, and I noticed that, I think it's on Flickr, you're... Uh, your little icon, it looks like a hamburger, but if you look really tight, it's... Oh, well, it's a, an electron micrograph, and I, in Photoshop, I made a little hamburger, 
out of uh, the buns or the eyes of uh, uh, insects or something like that. Right. I did it for this uh, weird site. I'm not even sure if it's there anymore. Worth 1000 where you do Photoshop and people vote on you. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I figured uh, that might be nice, uh, nice internet nom de guerre. So uh, that's it. That's why all, all these years I'm like, uh, my good friend Dan Nanoburger. <laughs> Always Nanoburger. And you still, you still call yourself Nanoburger? Yeah, that's my, my digital online uh, identity. Right. So. Thank, you very, thank you very much, Dan. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's uh, great to be here. It's an honor to uh, be in front of, oh, although it looks like I'm on the, the Senate Select Committee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It does, right? <laughs> right out of Godfather 2. <laughs> what office would you like to head? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but thanks. Uh, you know, this is a real honor for me. Cool. And how can people find you online? What's the easiest way? Uh, just Google Nail Burger and you'll find me. All right. Yeah, that's oh. very good. Of course. And, and uh, all the stuff I do on Instructables, uh, I try to, and, and I've been kind of falling down recently, but... Uh, uh, I try to answer all the questions. I try to update it as I learn more stuff or learn that some of my stuff is wrong, which happens sometimes. Um, uh, especially recently I had one on developing E6 with C41 chemicals. Ooh. And, man, the, the, uh, <laughs> the photomat people came out of the woodwork and with a lot of helpful suggestions. I, I call those the keyboard commandos. Oh, some of them knew what they were talking about. <laughs> Have you successfully, pro when you say process E6, you mean make a, 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 a transparency? For uh, yeah, well, well, the process is you develop it in black and white uh, chemicals, a developer like Xtol or whatever. Okay. Uh, then you, you let it, and then you don't do anything with it. You just uh, uh, let it dry and then expose it to light that's fogging it. Yeah. And, you know, that's done chemically in, e, in the E6 process, but you got to kind of do it manually. And then you just uh, then process it like uh, C41, and you'll get a positive color image. A lot of times with the color cast, so which you, can be done. You've uh, done it successfully. Oh, yes, exactly. So wh where did all the criticism come from? Oh, just uh, it, it's... It's You're misleading people. It, no, it's just <laughs> it's never going to be as good as regular E6 processing. Okay. You know, uh, but this is for uh, I had some slide film. It was out of date. It wasn't getting any better. So hey, let's uh, do this. And, and I didn't invent the process. I just kind of consolidated it into one spot. Right. Uh, where people can criticize me for it. <laughs> well, thank you, Dan. Hey, no problems, man. Uh, uh, folks listening, you could reach us at podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. We're going to sign off for this particular episode, and we're going to see you super soon. Super soon. Super soon. Like a sip of finest
super positive.